0: to know that our God is a strong tower and we can run to Him and we are safe. That He is our shield, our protector, our provider. Amen. He is everything that we have need of. The Bible says that He is the great I Am and whatever we have need of, that is what He can be to us. There is nothing that He cannot do, nothing that He will not do nothing that he is incapable of doing. There is nothing that is beyond the rim of uh, his power. There is nothing that, that uh, confuses him or confounds him or throws him off his game, but he is the eternal living God, the self-existing one, the creator of heaven and earth. Amen. And I'm thankful today to know him, to have felt him, and to have experienced him for my self. I invite you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis the third chapter verse number 15. It's a scripture verse that some of you have probably heard me preach from before but we are going to uh, revisit it this morning and uh, then we're also going to be reading for Acts the second chapter. If uh, some of you were here Wednesday night at Bible study or perhaps you uh, saw the lesson online, you heard me uh, teach out of the book of Acts, the second chapter, and this morning is what is known as Pentecost Sunday, and many throughout the Christian world are celebrating Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost simply means 50 or 50th, and it is a feast that was uh, celebrated uh, by the Jews on 50 days after Passover, and... uh, We celebrate it because it was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost as recorded in the book of Acts. And uh, so this morning uh, it has fallen my lot to preach to you a Pentecostal message. Amen. So that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to uh, preach a Pentecostal message. I've been uh, stirred the last number of weeks and even more specifically this week uh, just about what's going on in our world and I've been uh, thinking and meditating upon uh, what our culture is, uh, has become and what the church is having to face and uh, what we're having to try to navigate through. And the reality is, the truth of the matter is that if we are going to navigate successfully this current world that we find ourselves living in, it's going to take boldness. And it's going to take courage. And it's going to take someone that's going to draw a line in the sand and say someone might bend and someone might break, but it's not going to be me. Someone might be a coward, but it's not going to be me. And I would that someone would serve notice to the enemy that I'm not going to be a coward. I'm not going to be easily intimidated. I'm not going to be afraid of what the enemy is trying to Uh, put on us. Amen. But we believe in the power of God and our faith and our hope is in the power of God. And I believe that the power of God is going to fall in this service and help someone and enable someone to overcome the world in which we are living in. Amen. Genesis the third chapter verse number 15 says and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now this is God here talking to the serpent, uh, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, uh, Belial, whatever you want to call him, uh, the father of lies. Uh, This is him uh, doling out punishment, if you will, after the fall in the garden. Turn with me to Acts, the second chapter. The Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost, verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and it began to speak in And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was a supernatural occurrence that they experienced. It was the supernatural power of God Almighty that fell upon those first believers that had devoted themselves and dedicated themselves to the words of Jesus and had assembled and remained in the upper room until the promise from on high was given them. Set your Bibles down. Let's go to prayer. Mighty God, I pray that you would help our remaining time here together. That your spirit would move in a mighty way Lord. I pray that you would open our mind to understanding. Help us to open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that every saint of God under the sound of my voice would feel your spirit this morning moving and working in their life, in their home, in their family, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen us and bless us in your mighty name, Jesus. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. You can be seated this morning. We know from the record of scripture that humanity was created from the dust of the earth. And humanity was set in a place of perfection. We find that it was there in the place of perfection, the garden, that Eve encountered temptation. A subtle enemy enticing her with his words to eat the forbidden fruit from that tree that they were told not to touch. Like a stake, temptation was driven into her soul, and with one singular choice, life as Adam and Eve knew it, became separated from perfection. When the vehicle of disobedience drove them out of the garden, it was there that they suddenly found themselves on the outside looking in. No doubt there are some under the sound of my voice, if not all of us, that can relate to uh, the the feeling of failure, the feeling of making mistakes, and the feeling of looking, standing on the outside, looking in. And that's where Adam and Eve found themselves standing. They were standing in failure, they were standing in mistake, and they were standing in the repercussions of those mistakes. Imagine, imagine what that first sin-filled heart felt when it realized the existence of the void, the pain, the brokenness that was now settling in their inner being. Imagine the weight of the guilt that pressed upon their life as they were expelled from the garden. Can you imagine being kicked out of your house, being told that you can never return back to the place of safety, that you can never return back to the place that 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 was filled with peace and comfort that you can never return back to the place that 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 you had only always known forever since your existence imagine the heaviness of the thoughts of their mind knowing that they can never go back to what once was but we find that for the first time that God would show humanity that He always chooses mercy first. It's here in this opening scripture that I read that we find that God would not leave Adam and Eve hopeless, but that He would give them a hope that's found in a promise. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's a scripture verse that we have probably read many Januaries in our life when we set out to read the Bible throughout the year. And if we are not careful, we can... We can glance over, we can read past to not understand the significance of this Scripture verse because this is where we first find the mercy of God. Theologians, Bible scholars would call this Scripture verse the Proto-Evangelium. This is the first promise of God's redemptive, restorative work. It's here that this verse pronounces the first good news of Christ's victory over sin. The penalty for Adam and Eve's transgressions would have an end. It's God speaking to them, speaking a reality that this mistake, the consequences of this mistake, the result of your mistake would have an end. It's in this moment of failure that we find that God cast out a net of mercy and catching with it the sin of humanity it was mercy that was freely given it was a promise that was not earned Adam and Eve did not have to labor their way Into it, but we find here that God is standing at the scene of poor decisions, and He simply made a declaration uh, that I'm going to erase what has happened here, I'm going to fix what has happened here, I'm going to correct what has happened here, what has been broken, uh, and what has been demolished, and what has been scattered uh, into a thousand of thousands of pieces. It's here at this place that we find God speaking mercy that I'm going to fix what has happened. I'm going to destroy the results of this negligence. I think it's so beautiful that we find in this picture and in this scene that Adam and Eve did not have to get down on their hands and their knees and crawl their way back to God, pulling and tugging at His feet to have mercy. They did not have to beg. They did not have to ask. They did not have to plead. They did not have to request. But God, in His infinite knowledge, in His wisdom, and as the Bible says, God is love, we find that His nature of love and nature of mercy is going forth and it was not something that they had to earn but it was something that was freely given to them and I know that I'm preaching to a congregation of saints this morning that can attest and can testify of the power of God's mercy and the power of God's love in your own very life because when you found yourself in darkness and when you found yourself broken and shattered because of the poor decisions that you made in your life It was there that God Almighty, just like He did on that very first scene in Genesis, stepped at the road, at the crossroads of poor decisions in your life. He stepped up on the scene of poor decisions in your life, and you didn't have to tug at His feet, and you didn't have to beg for mercy. You didn't have to plead for just one more chance, but there was a God that dwells in the heavens of heavens, who has made earth His footstool, and heaven His throne, who stepped upon the scene of your life and He spoke mercy and He gave mercy and He cast out that net of mercy and that ca- and that net of love and He gathered you into the warmth of His embrace. And I don't know about you but I'm thankful that I can look back upon my life and I can see where I once was and I can see where I'm at now and I know that the common denominator in all of it what made the difference what brought the equation into my favor was the love and the mercy of God and more than that I'm so thankful that the mercies of God is never ending that it's a well that we can go back and draw from time and time and time again because I know that in my humanity that tomorrow I'll need the mercies of God and next week I'll need the mercies of God and even next year should I still have breath in my lungs that I'll find in my life that I need the mercies of God And I'm thankful for the mercies of God. We find in Genesis 3 and 15 that this verse would be the beginning point of a thread that would be divinely weaved throughout the scripture. The hope for a better day was rooted in this promise. This promise is what the elders and the patriarchs sought to experience. The writer of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 39 says, "In these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God, having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect in other words there were some men and some women of old who felt within them there was something a seed of faith that was given to them of a better day that was coming a greater promise that was going to be received someday somewhere somehow and we find when we read in the Old Testament that it was Abraham and it was Isaac and it was Jacob we find that it was Joseph and it was Moses and it was Gideon. We find that it was David, it was Solomon, it was Samuel, it was Isaiah, it was Ezekiel and the list could go on and on and on of these men They were reaching and they were striving for fulfillment that would bring them back into that perfect relationship with God. It was that scripture verse in Genesis 3 and 15 that set it into motion. It began to spin. It began to propel and push humanity into this lane into this channel into this avenue uh, that was divinely created by the divine uh, that was supernaturally created by the supernatural God uh, that would say I know uh, that there was something that broke it all uh, that messed it all up uh, that scattered it all and made a mess of it and it looks ugly now but what I'm telling you is uh, that there's coming a day uh, where it's all going to be brought back together Uh, and I tell you that there were some men of old uh, that reached, that strove Uh, For what you and I have, though they did not experience it, there was something that beat within them uh, to keep reaching, to keep moving, to keep working, uh, to keep pushing for a better day. And although these men of old had experienced many miraculous occurrences, they had never obtained uh, the promise You've heard me talk about it before, but you read in the Old Testament many accounts where people had the Spirit upon them, but they never had the Spirit within them. There were many people that had had encountered God and had experienced Him face to face, and there were many supernatural things that happened in their life, but they had never experienced the Spirit of God living in them and dwelling within them. Numbers 11 and 24 says, And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the seventy men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke unto him and took up the Spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied and did not cease. That's supernatural. That's the almighty power of God. That's them experiencing the Spirit of God for themselves. But we find that the Bible says that the Spirit rested upon them. It had not yet come inside of them. You find the story of Balaam in Numbers 24, the second chapter. The Bible says, And Balaam raised his eyes, and he saw Israel encamped according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon them. It was a power, it was a supernatural enablement, if you will. It, but it was not in them, it was only upon them. One of my favorite stories in all of the Bible is the one that we all know, the one of Samson. And the Bible says in Judges, the 13th chapter, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Maniah, Dan, between Zor and Eshetah. You find that Samson and Samson, all of his uniqueness and and the unique qualities and traits that defined him as an individual in his life, That, that there was a power that rested upon him. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. But there again, we do not find the Spirit residing in him or moving in him. It's just merely resting upon them. We find the story of Saul in 1 Samuel the 10th chapter the Bible says and when they came thither to the hill behold a company of prophets met him and the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them there again we find the supernatural workings of God the power of God manifest among his people but there again we find that the spirit of God was not moving in them or through them it was merely moving upon them and then we find 1 Samuel sixteenth. It's here that Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brethren. This is where they call uh, the sons of Jesse together. And the prophet is, is looking for the one, the anointed one, the chosen one. The Bible says that, that when Samuel anointed David in the midst of his brethren, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And we find all of the great victories, the battles that David would fight and he would win in his life. You find all of these amazing uh, supernatural things that would happen and take place in David's life. But there again, it was not the Spirit of God in him, but it was the Spirit of God upon them because the promise had not yet been given. They had experienced the power of God. They had experienced the supernatural workings of the Spirit of God. They had felt the power of God. They had felt the presence of God. But I tell you that that is not the same as the Spirit of God being inside of you. I declare to us this morning uh, that it's quite possible for us to feel the presence of God. For us to experience the Spirit of God that you and I can walk into a church service just like this uh, and we can feel the presence of God and we can acknowledge that I feel the presence of God here. But there's a great difference between feeling the presence of God and the Spirit of God coming upon you uh, than the Spirit of God coming inside of you Uh, there's a difference than us feeling the Spirit of God upon our life uh, and the Spirit of God being inside of us these men these men they had not obtained the promise but it did not stop them from pursuing everything was pointing towards the fulfillment of that promise The echoes of the promise were heard like the sound of a beating drum in their soul, steering the human race into their divine destination. With each reminder, these men could feel that thread of hope weaving itself in and out of their lives. Jeremiah the prophet said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper." and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. We find in Haggai, the second chapter, verse number 7, where the Lord says, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, uh, the Prince of Peace. Uh, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end uh, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom uh, to order and to establish it with judgment uh, and with justice from henceforth and forever. uh, The zeal of the Lord of hosts uh, will perform this. What I'm telling you is uh, that there was a voice of God that was speaking to humanity. uh, saying that there's coming a day uh, that my plan is going to be fulfilled uh, that my promise is going to be given uh, that my promise is going to come to pass uh, Isaiah 32 said until the spirit uh, be poured out uh, upon us from on high uh, and the wilderness be a fruitful field and the fruitful field uh, be counted for a forest uh, because up to this point humanity uh, was a barren wasteland they were hopeless uh, there was no hope for them uh, but the Lord said there's coming. In a day where I'm going to rain down my spirit from on heaven and there's going to be a vineyard among that's going to grow forth there's going to be a harvest that's going to come up they're going to be a fruitful and a blessed people it's Isaiah the 59th chapter that says and the redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression and Jacob says the Lord Ezekiel said I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit this is what I love because Ezekiel had an understanding and he had a revelation because he spoke the words of the Lord and he said I'll give you a new heart and I'm going to put a new spirit within you I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them I can't help but think of a divine exchange that takes place by God God whenever we come into Him and we let Him take that heart of flesh out of us and He says, I'm going to put a new spirit within you. Many of us can attest to that day, that moment whenever we had that divine exchange of our own where God took out that heart of flesh and He put that new spirit within us. Joel 2.28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. I'm telling you that we're living in the fulfillment of that promise where the Spirit of God is being poured out upon whosoever will and the only reason why some do not have the Spirit of God being poured out upon their life is because they carry an umbrella over their head shielding and deflecting what God is wanting to do in their life but I'm telling you that if there's ever a person that will lower their umbrella and say God I want to be saturated with your Spirit I want your Spirit to do a work in my life I don't want The the umbrella of flesh to keep you from doing a work in my life. I don't want the umbrella, come on, of worldliness to keep you from doing a work in my life. I don't want the, 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 the umbrella, come on, of materialism to keep you from doing a work in my life. I don't want the umbrella of sin to prevent you from doing a work in my life. But I want to lower the umbrella and I want the Spirit of God to saturate me. Even this morning, I want to leave this house being saturated by the spirit and the presence of God some say that Genesis 3 and 15 has a dual meaning the Bible says and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel some say that The victorious seed that's being spoken of here in Genesis the third chapter is that of Jesus Christ. We find that the writer in Galatians said, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. The writer says that the seed is Jesus Christ. And we see that the victory of this seed was accomplished when Jesus overcame death, burial, and the grave. Paul wrote in Romans 6, he said that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father and he also wrote in 1 Corinthians but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. What I'm telling you is that in Genesis that when God stepped on the scene of the wreck when he stepped up on the scene of the mess that had been created by an enemy tempting Eve that when he stepped on that scene and he spoke mercy that he saw his only begotten Son Jesus Christ, I'm on. Uh, persecuted, come on, and slain upon a cross, oh, but he knew that that would not be the end, come on, but he saw that he would overcome death, he saw that he would overcome the burial, that he would overcome the grave, and that he would be victorious, and that it was only through the shedding of this blood, it was only through the shedding of this blood that the sins of humanity could ever be remitted, it was only by him robing himself in flesh, and becoming that perfect sacrifice uh, that you and I could ever have an opportunity uh, for our wrongs to be righted, for us to come back uh, into that perfect plan of God. Others would say that the second meaning of Genesis 3 and 15 is that this victorious seed is the church. That's you and I. Galatians 3 and 26 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the church is the seed of Abraham. We are you and I through faith we are grafted in to that promise. And we see that Victoria, that the church will be, victorious. We find the account in Matthew the 16th chapter where it's Peter and some of the other apostles that are having a conversation with Jesus and Jesus asked them, who is it that men say that I am? Because there were a lot of people that were saying that Jesus was a prophet or Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead and and there was confusion as to who Jesus said that he was and we know that it was Peter that boldly stood up and proclaimed that thou art Christ, that you are Christ, you are that promise that was given to us for the ages before us to our fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's the ones that we read about in the prophets and Isaiah. You are the promised one. And we know that it's there that Jesus boldly declares, emphatically declares and gives a promise to Peter that would go beyond just Peter but it would go to you and I when he says and I say also unto thee, this is Jesus talking here that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If there's any time that you and I can feel hope we can feel hope this morning in this scripture verse knowing that you and I are part of the church of the living God and God said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it it doesn't matter how loud the enemy gets, it doesn't matter how vulgar the enemy gets, it doesn't matter how sharp his attacks become towards us it doesn't matter how pointed the instruments of his warfare are as he comes for us the fact remains that the gates of hell shall never prevail Against the church of the living God. I told you that on the onset at the onset of this message that I've been stirred the last few weeks Brother BJ and myself and Pastor Phillips and myself we've had conversation and talked about various things but we live in a wicked hour and a wicked day where the enemy is trying to silence the church and silence those that stand for morality and those that declare one singular absolute truth and the fact is that it started years ago where people said that there was no single absolute truth but you have your own truth and I have my own truth and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and our truths can coexist with one another but the fact is as brother BJ I believe made mention of this past week that everything is pointed towards the word of God and every attack is pointed towards Christianity and everything is trying to tear down and delegitimize us We live in a perverse, wicked day where the Bible said that there would be a day where good would be called evil and evil would be called good and we're living in that day and hour. I told my friend yesterday, one of my friends, we were talking, or excuse me, it was Friday afternoon and I told him, I said, the Bible says that it tells us that as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, it would be in the days of the return of Jesus Christ. That in the end that we would... We would live through the days and experience the things that was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And when you read and you study and you realize everything that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah, you understand that that's what's going on in our society today. And that's what's being promoted and pushed down our throats every day of our life. But what I told him was, I said, they didn't just wake up one day and they went from being normal to being what Sodom and Gomorrah Had become and the very reason why God destroyed them but I Said that it was a process that took Them from there to what they became And I told him I said you and I Are living through that process Right now you and I Are in the process of becoming Like Sodom and Gomorrah And what I'm telling you is that It's bothered me and it stirred my spirit And it's been a heavy weight Upon my shoulders to try to think About what my kids are going to have to experience 20 years from now and if I'm not careful that can weight my my faith down and it can bury my faith oh but I've come here this morning to declare to somebody that the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church of the living God because we got something not just on us but something in us that's going to enable us to overcome I don't care what the world says is right If the word of God declares it to be unrighteous An abomination to Him Then that's what I'm going to live And that's what I'm going to declare There are some things that are an abomination to God And I've got to declare it I've got to live it I've got to live it out for myself The truth is that sometimes I can find myself in precarious situations Because of my personality And sometimes I push myself beyond probably what I should in some situations because I'm not easily intimidated. Sometimes I wish that I was because then I would cower down from certain circumstances and maybe it would be better off in the long run. But what I'm telling you is that same... Spirit has got to rise up in a believer and say I'm drawing a line in the sand. And I'm not going beyond that line. And I know that hell and all of its forces uh, seems to be pulling uh, and drawing uh, and declaring. Uh, come on and whispering uh, and preaching. I'm uh, on, it's message uh, in our ears. We hear it blasted over the airways. All you got to do is get on social media for five minutes. Uh, and you'll see it uh, where they say right is right wrong and wrong is right but what I'm telling you is there's got to be a mama that says that my girl is a girl and my boy is a boy there's got to be a daddy that's willing to stand up and say I don't care what the world says my girl is a girl and my boy is a boy and there's some lifestyles that's an abomination to God there's some things that's wicked and will send your soul to hell but I'm telling you I know it's strong preaching but there's somebody that's got to stand up and be a light to a dark world there's somebody that's got to sing out the goodness of God there's somebody that's got to declare his mercy but not just settle on his mercy but declare his judgment because every one of us we're drawing near to this meeting with God and our soul our life our heart it's got to be where it needs to be The birth, the life, and death of Jesus was the fulfillment of so many of those Old Testament prophecies. The gospel of Jesus Christ we know is that good news that Jesus died was buried and rose again for our salvation. This is the hope for humanity. The gospel is applied to our life by repentance from sin, water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. That is burial with Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. And this is new life in Christ. Jesus said in John 3 and 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 14 says, and I will pray, this is Jesus speaking here, that the Father, and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees Him not, neither knows Him not, but you know Him for He dwells with you. And this is what Jesus said. It's not just that the Spirit is going to dwell with you, but the Spirit is going to be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, He said. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live. You shall live also at the day. You shall know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. Even Jesus said that I'm going to send a Comforter, and it's going to be with you. But it's not just going to be with you; it's going to be in you. He goes on to say, "He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And then he goes on to say, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Can you imagine being the followers, those closest to Jesus, and he's telling them that I'm going to leave you. How broken and disoriented their world had become. But the good news that Jesus gave to them was, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you hurting. I'm not going to leave you broken and in pain. But I'm going to send a comforter to you. And then he says, I, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, and I'm going to be with you. But not just with you, but I'm going To be in you. When we are born again, we actually become a new creature in Christ Jesus at repentance. And as the Bible says, water baptism. We bury that old sinful life. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we begin a new life. Is there anybody that's thankful for the mercy of God? That He gave you a chance at a new life. And so we find all of this coming together. You find it in Genesis and Exodus. You find it throughout the prophets. You find it in 1 Samuel. You find it in 2 Samuel when you read and you study the lives of those patriarchs. You see this promise. You see this marching forward to a day of fulfillment. And we know that Pentecost was a Jewish feast that was known also as the Feast of Weeks. And it was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. And it's on this day, the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter preached the first gospel sermon to those that had gathered outside of the upper room and had just witnessed the first outpouring of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. In Acts, the second chapter, the second scripture text that I read to us this morning, says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was here that this supernatural Event. It got the attention of those people that were outside of that room. And they wanted to know, just like you and I would, we would be curious as to what had just happened, what just took place, what did we just hear, what did we just see. And we find that Peter stood up and he began to preach on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it was conviction. It was conviction brought from this sermon that prompted them to ask Peter, What shall we do? Because he preached that you've just crucified the promised one. The one that our fathers have been telling us about for thousands of years. We, we, We found him. We experienced him in Jesus Christ. And he tells them, he preaches to them, This message, and they felt conviction because they had just sentenced him to his death. And they asked the question, What are we going to do about it? What do we need to do to fix this? They wanted to know what was their hope? How can we right this wrong? They wanted to know how can we be saved from this. These people, they were. Religious Jews, they understood scriptural concepts and terminology. Many of them knew the Old Testament prophecies concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they had heard John, the Baptist message of repentance and water baptism for the remission of sin. And the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter was able to give a precise, complete answer. And we find that in Acts 2 and 38. And that's when Peter said... Be baptized, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Stand with me this morning as I get ready to close. I tell you that that was the original formula that was prescribed for the original question. What do we need to do to be saved? And Peter said, you've got to Repent. You've got to repent. You've got to humble yourself before God Almighty. And you've got to acknowledge that He is God and you are not. That He is perfect and you are not. That He is sinless and you are not. You've got to acknowledge that you were born into sin and shapened into iniquity. That it was given to you, passed down to you through humanity, through Adam and through Eve. And then He said, you've got to be, You've got to repent and you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And Peter said, you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because that's how we identify with the burial of Jesus. We're buried in the water. We're buried in the water for the washing away of our sins. And then how do we identify with Jesus' resurrection? We identify with the resurrection of Jesus through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So Genesis 3 and 15, that promise that was given. That promise that was given. That the serpent would be destroyed. that, that, That my seed will be victorious. That my seed will win out. In the end, we find the fulfillment of that promise. The fulfillment of that promise that God gave to humanity is found in Acts 2. In Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out for the very first time. And the prophet said in Ezekiel, that I'm going to put a new spirit within you. And Jesus said, I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to be in you. And the answer that they needed then is the same answer that we need today. There's a world out there that is like a a ravenous wolf that is seeking who they can devour. I know I preached strong this morning, and I hope that it wasn't too strong and you can forgive me, but my soul is stirred because of the state of our world. And there's only one way that we're going to escape. There's only one way that we're going to escape. And it's through the Word of God. It's through the Word of God. There are men and there are women, even in this community that wake up every day with one goal in mind and that's to tear down the word of God to come against the promises of God to come against the people of God but I just believe that the spirit of God is going to come upon us and not just on us but the spirit of God is going to come in us and empower us and enable us to be overcomers